Plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine intelligence officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we have got uh, a really hot topic here. We're going to talk about China, the U.S. relationship. We'll talk about the APEC conference uh, that was in uh, San Francisco which uh, for a brief period of time, San Francisco looked like a nice place to visit. <laughs> now it's going back to being San Francisco, all right? But uh, uh, but uh, uh, we'll talk about all the changes that came out of that, some of the pluses, some of the things that were in the positive area, but also some of the things that were uh, reinforcing uh, the de-risking, if you will, of international investment capital. That's uh, uh, almost a code word for saying, don't put it in China anymore. Uh, so let's talk about that. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, the APEC conference. We're going to talk about a little bit of context here in terms of the history. You know, what were the wins uh, from that conference? What was not accomplished, which is still a, a big gap? And then in the context of that, you know, what are the longer term uh, trends that we're seeing both from investment? We'll, we'll give you some solid numbers on that. Oh, what's the impact on the, the chip war and infrastructure manufacturing? We've talked about that before in podcasts, how the criticality of that is. And then, of course, our, you know, to our theme, what's driving the, uh, the, the capital flows to various regions, including you know, our region here in North America? You know, what's interesting is uh, you know, the, the APEC <coughs> conference and everything going on in the Middle East and elsewhere around the world, it really it put everything in context with uh, this unusual relationship that, that, or this changing relationship, I should say, with uh, with the U.S. and China, with China asserting itself. And of course, we're watching, this is the thing is, we're watching, you know, prior to October 7th, our focus was still on Ukraine, uh, which occasionally gets mentioned, but not as often. Right. And and now the focus is on the war in Israel, the Middle East, the repercussions, you know, the potential repercussions regionally across the board, couple of vital choke points, sea lanes, uh, things like that. But then all eyes are, are really, you know, the strategic eyes, I should say, are looking at what is China going to do? Because this puts China in a position of exploiting this. And, and we're seeing more, dare I say, confrontational behavior of Chinese ships at sea, their aircraft. It has not <coughs> abated. You know, all goodwill from APEC aside, uh, we're still seeing that, you know, and, and paint scraping of ships afloat is still a, a very a very active issue. Yeah. So so that, that's actually a, a great segue into one of the wins from APEC, because, as, as we know from services, uh, paint scraping can lead to an escalation, a miscalculation that leads to terrible consequences. So by the way, I should mention when we talk about paint scrape, a lot of people are like, what are they talking about? Is like, are they outside on their on their fence or something? No, this is not Tom Sawyer. Okay, uh, we're talking about when ships when ships don't give way and they and they actually they 
they don't necessarily always crash. Sometimes they do crash into each other, but they scrape paint. In other words, the uh, the holes actually will will meet at sea. Yeah, one of our training destroyers actually did uh, have a paint scrape with the uh, the Kitty Hawk aircraft carrier, but that's a whole other discussion. Anyway, um, move, moving along. So, so what is what were the wins here? Okay, let's just pick up on the military point you made. Um, they now opened up a direct channel to channel, so uh, which before had not been available uh, or had been abandoned for a period of time. So now there's increased transparency to avoid um, any miscalculations. They believe there's going to be a curb on the fentanyl production and the regulation of exports. We all know what you know what havoc that's creating in in North America. Now, this was promised as well in 2016 and you know, really didn't have that much of an impact. So this is a kind of uh, wait and see. And on a lighter note, um, there's a panda diplomacy <laughs> here that uh, Z inferred that China may lend back our pandas to the U.S., which is a very symbolic um, after mo- move after they, were, after they were launched. The hope, and then I'm going to give this back to you to discuss some of the, the losses, but the, the hope here as there was this incredible push for the diplomacy was that possibly Z had miscalculated and that you know there was too much overhyping of the American threat and now it's uh, you know given the other indigenous issues going on in their economy that you and I've talked about then they don't need this headache as well. I, I think what they're starting to look is the fragility of the economy, the fragility of the marketplace. I don't think Xi and the <coughs> Communist Party really understood the 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 market trade winds if you will that could impact them uh so so harshly and they did and that goes to foreign investment uh in china but it also goes to other things and i'm not saying that the panda diplomacy was was china trying to get its new bearings shall we say (laughs) but uh sorry anyway uh but but i will say that they're starting to say look some of this confrontational stuff is just it's counterproductive it's not working for us it's causing huge problems. And, of course, the, one of the biggest things that they're looking at, and this was came out of APEC as well, is they're looking at the, the, the phenomenal drop in investment capital going to China. It's not the place you invest. Yeah, we're, we're going to quantify that a little bit later in this discussion, but you're absolutely right. So it's the same old story. Is it, is it real symbolism or is it a head fake? And, you know, and, and, and time will tell. We, we don't know. But that's actually, you know, good on-ramp to discussing the APEC what was not accomplished at APEC. So Mm -hmm. it's not just one Cinderella story. Um, There's still huge geopolitical gaps. Um, Unfortunately, we we don't want to get political here. It wasn't probably wise to call on on the closing of the conference (laughs) the dictator. Let's let's, let's move through that. You're you're talking about when President Biden was asked, do you still think she's a dictator? (laughs) In which he came out and very diplomatically said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Any event. Moving ahead. No discussion about North Korean aggression, okay? Nothing about managing Iran, which, you know, is is obviously another topic for us. No agreement over Taiwan, and we'll come back to that in our, our, our chip section. And <clears throat> no agreement on limiting artificial intelligence for autonomous weapon systems or, or nuclear arsenals. So, you know, Jake Sullivan's still pushing on that. God bless him. But we'll just see where, where that ends up. You, you may want to address some of the choke points in the South China Sea. Well, I want to I want to bring up that you know this autonomous uh, weapon systems in the South China Sea is changing the math. You know what we're seeing over there. Uh, obviously, uh, when it comes to major weapon systems afloat, the U.S. has the best, the biggest uh, across the board, and 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 with that, uh, all of our allies that are over there as well. You know, Canada, of course, very aggressive in what's doing. Uh, Australia. 
getting bigger and and also you know getting nuclear submarines that's the big thing that came out of last year that's going to change the math uh tremendously throughout the uh south china sea and throughout that uh, throughout the west pacific region uh but also european powers japan has become more aggressive becoming much more assertive in the maritime domain all of this is changing uh what's happening uh in the region across the board and of course the ongoing confrontations and uh in the West Philippine Sea, uh, which China does not call it the West Philippine Sea, all right? They think it's Chinese waters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the uh, China is still asserting the nine-dash line, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, takeover of the South China Sea, trying to turn that international waterway into a Chinese lake. Uh, that is a fixture that was not addressed, not in any way addressed, that came out of APEC. In fact, if anything, China's gone right back to where it was before. Yeah, the the, the 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 big issue here, the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, is there. There was really nothing addressed in terms of the lifting the trade exports on the on computer chips. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the strategic importance of the computer chips. That that directly goes to your point about uh, trade dollars and and investment flow. Um, but the concern is obviously is that they're they're being used for advanced weaponry, sur- surveillance tools. And uh, to the the issues that we are, are gravely concerned about the uh, autonomous autonomous weaponry and, a, and a artificial intelligence, um, I'm going to start with the declining trade flow. China was the largest U.S. trade partner. It's now number three. We mentioned on an earlier uh, podcast reference over the last uh, nine months, it's now Canada 15.3 percent and Mexico, I believe, with 15.7 uh, percent. That goes back to our point we've made several times about regionalism, whether you like it or not. It's Fortress North America. It's going to divide a lot of your business decisions in terms of vertical integration, what you're buying, where you're, where you're sourcing, and how you're distributing. And you know, I'm bullish on, on Mexico. Uh, yes, there are problems with cartels and other issues with Mexico, and the political environment is a little bit challenging <laughs> at times, all right? But I am bullish on Mexico. I think that Mexico is going to, you know, if you go back 30-some years, uh, with NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, the big discussion at the time was that all this manufacturing, all these things, uh, you know, for example, call centers, they thought were all going to go to Mexico and all sorts of stuff. And a lot of that investment capital started heading south and, and China just exploded, uh, as did uh, India kind of opened up and it took a hard right turn <clears throat> shot across the Pacific. I think some of that's going to come back with the Fortress North America and it already is. And I think that's, and I think Mexico being number three i i think it's just going to get bigger and bigger okay because i must do this let me give you some numbers here so now china trade is now down to 11.1 uh 11.1 okay so the, you know obviously we said mexico 15.7 canada 15.3 um th- for the first time uh in, in in q3 foreign direct investment in china turned negative first time in 25 years mm-hmm. okay that, that's that's just a huge drip we're, we're going to discuss that more in the context of chips the uh, foreign office in, in Shanghai for the U.S. American Chamber of Commerce is at 40, 40, 40% of those surveyed are, are not planning for any direct investment in, in China any longer. There is a massive um, off-ramp. And the, the concern is, is that uh, whether it's kidnapping executives, stealing technology, uh, or, they're, or managing within their own indigenous economic problems that you've referenced before, whether it's a property implosion, it's it's coming back home you know it's tough to go to china or it's tough to go anywhere and uh 
and uh, negotiate investment uh, if your executives get kidnapped. I just want to point that out, okay? It's just uh, really, it's disruptive to say the least. Um, one of the things uh, I, I thought was interesting coming out of APEC that ties to this is they had that, was it $40,000 plate dinner with Xi? Oh, yeah. All right, uh, which was kind of orchestrated and stuff. And, and there were a lot of uh, CEOs, major CEOs, you know, Apple, of course, and some others that were there. And at the end of it, they, they stood up and gave him a standing applause. And, and that was very controversial because of the uh, what China has been doing. And there was a feeling that maybe that was actually choreographed, that there were some that were told they had to stand up and applause to get everybody else to do it. And they all did it. And when that was done, they go, is this a turning point? And the answer is no, it was not a turning point. It was just an uncomfortable moment where they all stood up and applauded. But the reality is uh, that, that there's just too much risk, and it's not getting less to put money in China. And, and that is causing huge problems for Xi politically, beyond, you know, just beyond the sheer numbers. Politically, if he can't get Western capital going into China, you know, with the problems they have with the real estate sector, you know, teetering on a, a, a much larger collapse than where it is, with the $1.2 trillion Belt and Road debt bomb, which could at any any point in time could explode, if you will, with a number of countries sitting there going, we're just not going to pay you back. The financial tsunami that would sweep over China is such that uh, they're not quite sure if Z would survive. Yeah, so, so, so let's really reinforce that point you just made. Um, in Q3 2023, according to PitchBook, China, the U.N. investment dollars were only $300 million, okay, compared to $2 billion in Q3 22. Look at that 12-month decline. I mean, it, it, it's, it's remarkable. Sequoia, one of the, the most celebrated venture capitalist groups globally, ha, has pulled out. And same with GGV uh, Capital in September. Even the public market listings now in the U.S. are demanding increased scrutiny. So the Z is now... Uh, you know, saying that we are basically, or the U.S., or the Western world, is weaponizing trade and tech, you know, basically turning the table on us, because that's essentially what we're saying that they've been up to in terms of <laughs> um, limiting the exports of gallium and germ germanium, which are critical to chip making, um, as, as well as uh, uh, other, other rare earth minerals. By the way, uh, Taiwan has such a dominant position in, in uh, <clears throat> microchips and chips. Uh, I should say just chips across the board. And China's trying to catch up. But what's interesting is with the Chinese threat, with the mainland, or I should say, you know, PRC threat to Taiwan, uh, and the fear of the disruption that this would have with the, with the global chip market, it is forcing money away from Taiwan in terms of product, producing chip. Even Taiwanese money is moving away from Taiwan. But where it's going is not to China. It's going to other places. It's going to uh, places very close to Taiwan and China, like Arizona. All right, <laughs> and you're seeing you're seeing all this manufacturing of chips taking place in other places, and it's causing a dissemination of the chip manufacturing industry uh, in some very unexpected ways. Certainly not the way that China thought that the that their pressure points were going to result in shifting that market. Yeah, it, it, it's still a it's still a tough tough shift because. China still accounts for over 36% of the sales for U.S. companies, okay? So the, when the knife is cutting, you know, our own people, too. Mm -hmm. So we, we all have a vested interest in establishing, as we talked in an earlier podcast, a, a multipolarity environment so that there's balance, but there's trust. Well, back to your saying, trust but verify. 
Uh, a lot of trust but verify and 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 let me just uh, let's let's if we could switch out let's talk about fentanyl fentanyl is a huge problem um i think it was what a hundred thousand people last year died of fentanyl i mean it's it's stunning it is stunning what this has done and china and the chinese triads have taken a huge role in uh in 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 exporting this uh getting it into the united states and this is not something that's been resolved and you know i have a little bit of a background here uh back in the 90s as you may recall i actually worked with the fbi and other agencies in dealing with uh asian organized crime uh dealing with counter drug that was pre-fentanyl at the time but uh kind of have a, a little bit of an insight into how the triads operate and and stuff and 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 by the way the, the you know the difference between uh the chinese government and chinese organized crime no explain it to us not much <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very interwoven it's kind of like the the russian example is about the same okay so uh uh but you find that uh believe it or not uh, try not to fall out of your chair there is corruption in in china but i know it's shocking to hear that but uh but there's a lot of money involved and it's and and so when you see the clandestine services trying to push a strategic agenda using uh organized crime is one of the ways it's done so when we look at this it's uh you know, oh, we're all working together. Yeah, we're not quite sure uh, how much of this is uh, official yeah, stuff. To, to wind this up, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly, you know, that that's a critical point you're making. But it's it's in terms of our our, our focus is really again on whether you like it or not. The scenario is regionalized regionalism, fortress North America. We have to get our southern border squared away because they're part of you know, the Mexico is going to be part of our manufacturing family as you can see from the numbers that we've shared here for a long time to come by the way uh, I'm going to do a, a, a shameless plug okay. here okay if if you're a, if you're a company a large organization and you're looking at where you're putting your investment capital you're looking at where you want to get your sourcing from and you're not sure that you can internally pull this off uh, you know that's where strategic wargaming that's when the sort of scenario-driven planning that we do uh, comes into play because we can force and we can ask questions that internally organizations can't ask themselves right. because we can be that outside that says, what about this? Or to role play a scenario that nobody wants to talk about because the outcome could be so devastating to the status quo. That's where this comes in. But, you know, hey you gotta be it gotta be tough to win yep. and that's what this is all about and and the point too is when when you go through the planning and the structure you need to have the investment banking expertise so in terms of every conceivable transaction out there especially as it applies to the vertical inter- integration the realignment of the um, business uh, grid here in fortress north america um it's a it's a banking in the context of a good plan by the way uh, just to just kind of wrap that up the investment banking side is so important uh, from a corporate standpoint, uh, but also from a government standpoint, but from a corporate standpoint especially. You know, it's one thing to talk about natural disasters, war, uh, you know, all the things going on in the world, but then you got to tie that into real-world decisions, all right? And a lot of times, and I see this, they'll bring in, you know, retired military uh, generals or, or colonels or whatever to talk about this stuff and, and, and I guess I know because well sometimes they pull in me with that group but anyway uh, but but we, we tend to have a way we look at things and we miss the investment banking side uh, and, and that's why I think it's a whole picture it's a more holistic approach uh, absolutely 
All right. Thanks, Mark. Okay, Great thank discussion. You, you bet, man. Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kemper and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.